Welcome back to the podcast. And uh, today we're uh, here uh, interviewing Air Force Captain Simone Zacharias. And uh, since she is a friend and colleague of our co-host, I will let our great co-host take over from this uh, point and uh, start the interview with uh, with Simone. So uh, Trish, how are you doing? I'm doing great, okay. sir. How I'm are you doing today? Great. I'm looking. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this today. Me too. It's going to be great. Um, Captain Zacharias, as a graduate of the Air Force class, Air Force Academy class of 2010, or I'm sorry, 2012, and she was recruited for fencing. So, um, Simone, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, Captain Zacharias was a really strong candidate. Even though she was recruited for fencing, um, she probably would have gotten in without the recruitment. Can you give us a little bit about your background, uh, where you're from, and um, anything else you want to talk about? Yeah, sure. So um, I was in high school in Louisville, Kentucky. So I, when it came time to looking at colleges, I was also doing fencing on the side, not through my high school, but on the club side and going to some national competitions. So I think I had a little bit easier than other candidates as far as when you start looking at colleges and there's just this vast number of colleges to look at. I had colleges approaching me instead. So Air Force Academy was one of the colleges that approached me. And honestly, I was an artsy kid in high school. I was in a visual arts magnet for a time. I was not your, like what I would say, cookie cutter Air Force candidate. I... Um, my idea of the military was like G.I. Jane, not something that really fit me. I was a girly girl my entire life as well. So when Air Force Academy approached me, I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is for me. So I did a couple trips out there and really looked into it. And in the end, I've kind of had this life motto that's, well, if that person over there can do it, I can do it too. So I ended up applying to the Air Force Academy kind of almost on a whim, not really planning to go there for um, my entire life, like some other candidates, or because I wanted to be a pilot. I actually got motion sick my entire life. So pilot was not in the cards for me. So um, that was kind of my journey to the Air Force Academy. And then I obviously ended up getting in. And then once I was there, I really found other reasons to stay there, especially once I learned more about the Air Force and the military in general. That's great. And um, so how long would you say, when did that process start for you? When did you start considering applying and when did that recruitment process start? Yeah, so that process actually started kind of late to me, I would say compared to what most candidates should be looking at now. I would say a good time to really start focusing on college selection even and kind of like getting your ducks in a row for college as your sophomore year of high school. But um, I was kind of, because I was in the sports recruiting area and some of the people listening might understand this they might be going through the same thing ncaa lays out very specific rules as far as how that works when schools can talk to you that kind of thing and it differs sport by sport so for me i was really in the thick of it my junior year kind of trying to figure things out but i will say that i'd been preparing for college applications my entire high school career so that's just making sure that you're doing some things to add to your college resume, just like um, with any application you go through. And I think it's really important to point out here that Captain Zacharias uh, is an ALO, an Air Force Academy liaison officer. So 
um, any advice that she gives throughout this, you know, we're going to kind of go into that section of your, um, just your service in terms of interviewing potential candidates. But, um, can you talk a little bit about how you fit into the scholar athlete leader model, how you performed in high school with your GPA and your SAT scores? Yeah. So, um, my high school was a magnet school in Kentucky. Um, they didn't wait for AP classes, but I was taking a battery of AP classes, um, large number. I graduated with honors, So I was on that track. Um, I'm not sure it kind of depends state by state, but it was a Kentucky state thing where if you had a certain number of advanced and AP classes, you would graduate with honors. Um, I was, I had to think back to what my SAT score was. I think it was a 1460, but things have probably changed so much since then that it's hard to really say what the scoring equivalent would be nowadays. Um, and then my GPA was a 3.9. My school, like I said, didn't wait for, um, AP classes. I know some schools do that. So it was just a straight, whether you had A, B, C, or D. So it was 3.9. I think I had three Bs in high school. And the rest were all A's. Very impressive. That's, um, you know, the the high SAT scores with the 1460 and the 3.9. It's kind of like right up there with good goals for students. Um, and then obviously for the athlete, you were uh, you were involved in fencing. And I'm guessing that you performed pretty well on the candidate fitness assessment. Yeah, so I was in fencing, and then I was just always kind of a career athlete. I did volleyball before fencing. I've done some other sports. So I think it's important to state here, though, from the ALO perspective, that if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, well, I'm not on a sports team, so I guess I can't go to the academies. That's very incorrect. They're really just looking for fitness. They want you to. They want to make sure that you're going to take fitness seriously, that you're going to stay in good shape. So um, dance is a form of that. Um, doing CrossFit on the side is a form of that. Doing a daily run is a form of that. So I just wanted to point that out because I think it kind of makes people feel excluded if they feel like they have to be part of a sports team or some celebrated athlete in high school to do well at an academy because that's not really the case. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think when we talk about athletics, one of the things that we like to highlight is the fact that a lot of athletes also have leadership experience, especially if you're talking team captains. Um, so that it's kind of like a twofer, but, uh, you know, definitely other leadership opportunities as well. What are some examples of your leadership yeah, so uh, in high school? In addition to, um, I did a lot with fencing, obviously. I was teaching um, students fencing. I was teaching younger kids fencing. We did some like dads and daughters things. But in addition to that, I was really involved in different clubs in my high school. I was involved in Key Club, which is like a volunteer um, program where we do community service projects. I organized quite a few projects for that. Um, I was involved in some honor societies. I was also involved in Spanish club. So I think um, I also want to throw it out there that you don't want to overload yourself and just join a bunch of clubs to add them to your resume. The key here is the leadership positions in those clubs. So you want to apply yourself to a few clubs that you choose and be a leader in those clubs not just a member, because nowadays everyone kind of knows to look for that distinction in college applications. And it it also, I think it's pretty obvious when you start asking people questions, if they're just taking on a leadership role for to, to buff, buffer their resume a little bit. So actually taking a role in an organization that you care about and you, you have some sort of buy-in 
with, it's pretty obvious during an interview if the person is just doing it to, to pad their resume. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you are a really well-qualified candidate, which makes sense why uh, you were accepted. Where did you get your nomination from? Yeah, so my nomination actually came from a congressman in my congressional division. However, I applied to all of them that I qualified for. So I applied to the congressional nomination and senatorial nominations. And then obviously, um, in my case, I didn't qualify for like vice presidential or presidential, but anything that you qualify, you should be applying for just to cover all your bases. And those timelines are pretty far out. So I mean, we almost missed ours because of the timelines um, with recruiting. But I was still able to get in. And I don't remember a whole lot about my interview. I lived in Louisville, Kentucky, but kind of outskirts. So I wasn't in the Louisville congressional district. I was in a more rural congressional district. I do remember they told me after I got the congressional nomination that I was the only one to get into any of the academies that was at the interviews. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That was pretty powerful because there was actually a friend of mine from middle school who wanted to go to West Point his entire life, and he was there in those interviews. So I guess that means that he wasn't able to get in. So yeah. Um, Do you? So that was your congressional nomination interview. And again, we always recommend that people apply for their congressional district, and then the two senators at at least those three baseline. individuals that they can apply for. What do you remember about your ALO interview? Did you interact with your ALO a lot? Or was it kind of just since you were recruited, it was a little different? Yeah, so um, I did not interact with my ALO at all before the interview. Um, because I was recruited, I, I had a little bit more handheld handholding and other channels to ask questions through. So I didn't really need the ALO as much to answer questions about the process, but they're a great resource for anybody out there who has questions or doesn't really know what to do or just anything in general. I mean, everything, my candidates right now, I offer interview prep training for them where it's not like I'm going to, I don't provide the questions and then tell them exactly what to say, but we just work on interviewing because it's a skill And if you're good at interviewing, then you can interview for anything, not just for any of the academies. Um, But then, so I didn't really interact a lot. And I will say the ALO interview was different back then. So at that time, there was only one ALO, and that was your um, mentor ALO, is what they call it, That at least on the Air Force side. That's the person that you talk to, ask questions of. Um, have a can build a really great relationship with. And then that same mentor ALO would do the interview for you back then. Now that has changed. And now you get an evaluator ALO who does not know you to do the interview. And that's typically someone from a completely different state. So it's always through Zoom. It's required to be through Zoom. That evaluator ALO isn't allowed to meet with you, even if they could. Um, and so it's just trying to level the playing field for everyone across the board. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, you know, I think that uh, you know, based on what what we've been seeing, is that you know, understand the candidate should understand that their interview for uh, the Air Force Academy through the ALO is going to be done via video, and that means oh, maybe in some ways a different uh, skill set in regards to being able to interview because interviewing in person, interviewing over Zoom, uh, is like two different. Uh, how should you say it? Like, you know, the two different skill sets to be able to master, I think. 
Yeah. What's an example of one of the differences, sir? Uh, well, first one is, uh, do you know how to master the technology? I think, you know, when we work with candidates, you know, we have to work, work with them to understand, you know, kind of how to work, work, work it, make sure they have a nice background, make sure, you know, that they, you know, are dressed well and, uh, and, and all of these things and not disturbed uh, by, you know, family or friends tuning out uh, other, uh, you know, bandwidth so that, you know, so that's not so that it doesn't disturb that your inter your person who's interviewing you. So there's a certain amount of skills, I think, you know, as we look at Zoom uh, and, you know, making sure you put your best foot forward there, I think that differ from an in-person evaluation. I imagine Simone might pile on here about her, what she sees as differences between the two, maybe. Well, you know, it, it is a very important component of the overall score in terms of looking at the whole application. Um, when you break down the different areas of the Air Force Academy application, the panel score makes up 20% of the overall uh, percentage of the overall points towards your selection composite score. And, um, y- you know, the, the ALO score is going to make up a portion of that 20%. So, so definitely something that you want to take serious. And it's really nice that we have you here to talk with us today, Simone, about, um, about what you see in candidates and just kind of give people an idea of how they can, you know, best prepare to to work with their interview, their evaluator interview now. Uh, how did you initially become an ALO? Yeah, so I actually reached out. There's an application process. So I'm still active duty. I'm actually Space Force now. I, until I was Air Force up until about, um, until October last year, I switched over to Space Force. Um, but there's an application process for active duty to go in. It is typically reserve officers. Um, who are doing it as kind of either an additional duty as a reserve officer or it's the special category of reserve officer who does it. But um, yeah, I just was really interested. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I kind of found my way to the academy not thinking I was military because I was a girly girl. Again, the G.I. Jane (laughs) reference is what I thought the military was like. And honestly, the only reason I ended up there is because there was a girl on the fencing team at the time who I could identify with, who was a girly girl, um, was very much like me. And I saw her and I thought I could do this too. So I wanted to be that example for other girls out there who might be questioning whether a girly girl can join the military and thrive in the Air Force. So that was kind of my reason for doing it. Um, And then... I was kept primarily on the kind of presentation side of the ALO job. So I didn't actually interview candidates my first year. I was just going around to different events and a lot of congressional events, talking about the Air Force, presenting about the Air Force, doing a lot of the certificate presentations for students who got in at their high school award ceremonies. Um, But I was kind of like a base of the ALO program for a little while. And then did you transition eventually over into working with candidates directly? Yeah, I started doing a little bit of it. During the COVID times, it became a lot harder. We were transitioning to Zoom. And so I started working with candidates um, about two years ago, um, working with candidates and then also doing evaluator ALO interviews. So we all do evaluator ALO interviews. Um, But the way that the ALOs are kind of parsed out, kind of the behind the scenes look is it's by high school, typically. 
um, so that we can build a relationship with the high school. So it really just depends how many students from that high school want to go to the academy as to how many candidates I get on a year by year basis. So what would you say the average is? I typically only have like four to five. Hmm. So not a whole lot. Do you know if any other ALOs have more or? Yeah, there are definitely some like workhorse high schools that it kind of just depends. I know like, for example, my high school in Kentucky, I was the first one to go to the Air Force Academy. Um, We had some in prior classes go to Naval Academy, but I think it just kind of depends. There are certain high schools where um, the students are aware of the academies and looking for them. And Orange Orange County is typically a pretty competitive area for the academies. Um, I know that like the congressional districts, they run out, whereas I was kind of lucky in my congressional district, it sounds like they didn't have enough people to give out the nominations to. So um, it just kind of depends where you live. Unfortunately, that's kind of part of the process as to whether you live in a competitive area or in a less competitive area. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, now that there are two different types of ALOs for the evaluator ALOs, how does that process work? How, how What are candidates ranked on or rated on when they're actually going through that interview? Yeah, so it's just kind of the same things you kind of asked me about getting into the Air Force Academy, that servant, um, the scholar, athlete, leader construct. So, um, And then a lot of focused on kind of um, the honor code as well. So it's a lot focused on kind of who you are as a person. And then um, whether you have the leadership skills or not really leadership skills, the academy doesn't expect you to show up knowing how to be a leader, but they want to see that you have a foundation and the ability to learn. So it's more focused on can someone live by the honor code? Can they follow the honor code? Is this person going to, are they in decent shape now? Can they stay in good shape? Can they make that life choice to be a healthy um healthy person, healthy person willing to exercise on a regular basis. They're kind of looking for people who are not only going to fit into the military in that you have to be, but also be an officer in the Air Force. So that means staying in good shape. It means being able to lead others. And it means being able to handle the rigors of the academic program at the academy. So there's the focus on the scholar. But I will say the interview focuses more on the ethics side, that if you're a good person, if you can live by the military standards, and then the the fitness side a little bit, talking a little bit about the athletic side. But I would say the rest of the application really shows the scholar side. I'm not sitting there checking like, okay, did you get an A in this class? Like, what were your what was your GPA? Like, I'm not I'm not asking candidates those things. I feel like other parts of the application cover those parts. We're really just trying to get a good idea of the overall picture of someone. Yeah, it seems like you guys are the eyes and the ears for the admissions team since they don't have the capacity to go out and personally interview everybody. Um, So when you are, you know, when you're working through in your typical year to evaluate uh, candidates and and you have your four or your five candidates, how do you actually um, give that information about how you've ranked them or rated them to the admissions board? What are you, are you submitting a form to the admissions team or, or how does that information get passed back? Yeah, there's a form that we submit um, for each area that they give us. There's like a scale rating from one to five, one being the worst, five being the best you've ever seen. 
And um, you kind of just go through that for each of these areas that they've identified as being important areas. Again, those all tie back to that scholar, athlete, leader construct. Um, And so everything's kind of related to those things. And then in the end, there's like an overall score of where we're basically saying one to five, like one, do not let this person anywhere near an academy (laughs) to five, like, yes, definitely give this person a nomination. And do you have to justify anything? Like, you know, if you give them a one, do you have to say, no, this, this is why I'm giving them a one or everything is also for, I, I think it's like five or six graded areas. You have to write a bullet. So Trish, you're familiar with what a bullet is, but it's essentially just a short statement stating like what you heard from the interview that backs up why you're giving that score. And you especially for one and two scores, you definitely have to give justification as to why you're giving those scores. And for five scores too, I believe you have to give justification. Yeah. No, that- and what kind of things would would give a one? <laughs> have you ever given a one? You're reading. You're <laughs> reading you're by given mind. A five. Chris, you're no, reading so by honestly, mind. I think the ones get weeded out by the rest of the process because yeah. it is such a long process that they don't really yeah. follow it through. Um, Mm -hmm. I have given, I've only given a handful of twos and I mean, it's a, I, when I was going to give a two, I called my commander and had a conversation with him about my decision and whether he agreed with me as to what I saw and what I thought and why I was giving the two. I mean, it wasn't given lightly. In other words, it was something that I debated for a long time and really felt like was the right decision. Um, I will say with the interview, a lot of this might sound scary. Like I've never done interviews before. I don't have an interview skill set. How am I ever going to do well on this? I will say I don't expect someone coming in to be a master at interviewing. We know that we're taught these are high school students and not to be too hard on them. (laughs) But at the same time, it is a reflection of who you are as a person. So I think the person that I gave it to Um, the communication skills just weren't at a level to do well at the academy. And Trish, you know this, we have to write something in every single class. There's a lot of speaking that happens. And it just wasn't at the right level to be a strong enough candidate to do well there. Honestly, I didn't feel like that person would do well. Um, Yeah, I only wrote away the spot from somebody else more qualified to if you falsely inflate their rating. Yeah. So, I mean, it was just an overall, like the answers I was getting to questions didn't make sense. And it wasn't a nerves thing. It was, they just didn't make sense. They didn't have good answers to questions. So it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right. And a lot of it is a lot of ALOs have seen a lot of students. We kind of know kind of where people fall. And I've done, um, I will get to it, but I've done ROTC interviews. I have done a few more do not offer on the ROTC side. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that there, it's just a, the way the application process works. I think the interview comes a little sooner on the ROTC side. Yeah, absolutely. And then, um, you know, if, if a candidate wants to get that five, even though that, you know, they're not going into the interview thinking, oh, I hope she gives me a five. How does the candidate get the maximum rating from you? Like, what, what do you see about candidates where you're like, this is the person that should be at the, at the Air Force Academy? Honestly, um, I've given a handful of fives too. It really is just someone who, I mean, is a- you're asking a question of them 
and they're just answering all the ideas, all the all of what you expect in your head, basically. It's <laughs> it's hard to voice but um to explain, but you're asking a question and um you're giving like I just ask a question and see how they respond and then I'll help guide a little bit if they're if they have trouble, but the answers that they're giving, like they just get what you want to hear from the question. Yeah. And one of the things that I've noticed working with candidates too is a lot of times some students will just just answer your question and to to like the basic level instead of going above and beyond and talking about, you know, the impact of whatever question, like the leadership example and how they've improved other people's lives and just kind of demonstrating that selfless service and integrity just in every question. And I, is that kind of the yeah. point above and beyond? Yeah, that that's what I would for? say. Yeah, is you're just, you're giving me scholar athlete leader in every answer that you're giving yeah. or you're giving me examples they're strong and they're communicated extremely well so not just talking to talk for example i'm not expect i'm not saying these people have got five as we were on the interview for like five hours we were <laughs> they're they're still short answers but they're they're well thought out they're strong like they said enough without being yeah. too verbose because i do get the other ones who are just talking like mm-hmm. too much rambling yeah, yeah, rambling and talking. And there's not really a point mm-hmm. to what they're saying beyond just kind of mm-hmm. trying to fill space. What's the shortest interview you've ever had? And what's the <laughs> longest? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think most of my interviews tend to be about 45 minutes, I would say. Um, I don't think I, I, probably I'm on the shorter side for a lot of ALOs because I don't see the need to just ask a lot of questions just because I can kind of get the feel of someone from a few questions that I ask. Um, yeah. I would say some of the shortest ones have been like 20 minutes, but I, that was more again on the ROTC side. And it's kind of what you're saying, Trish, where they just would say like a one sentence answer. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, okay. Like you ask like, well, give me an example of a leadership like something where you led something and they're like, well, I was the captain of the soccer team. <laughs> and then they just stop. <laughs> that's it. That's all you get. Yeah. So that's you can, not you can exactly figure out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, other than going into detail, what general advice would you give to candidates? And this can be advice that goes far what, b- before you actually get into the interview process. I would say that, as we've said many times already, interviewing is a skill. And honestly, working on your interview for this application, working on your interview skill, it's not a waste of time because you're going to be interviewing for the rest of your life if you haven't already been interviewing for other things. I think interviewing is something that Um, it's a skill you have to learn. And like any skill, some people are naturally going to be better at it. And some people are naturally going to have to work way harder at it. A lot of it's tied to whether you're outgoing to begin with, whether you're good at speaking in public in a way, whether you're good at meeting strangers, but it's definitely something to work on. And I will say I was a naturally introverted person. I was very shy until my mother said one day, there's no room for shyness in adulthood. And she was the one who <laughs> forced advice. me to start working on it. So I would say 
if you're thinking like, how do people talk to others? I don't even know. I was the person who on an elevator, I was like, why would you ever talk to someone else on the elevator? (laughs) 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 But that's where you practice. The people you're never going to see again, the people who are ringing you up at a store, practice asking them a simple question, like, how's your day going? Or movies are a really great way to talk to people because everyone's watching movies. So just start practicing that skill now. And then on the interviewing side, I kind of what I teach all my candidates and just what I think is a really good format for interviewing. I don't know if they teach the 3.5 essay anymore, but if you know, like sit down and think about like the three things you think are most important to your interviewer. So on this academy side, we've said it a bunch of times, scholar, athlete, leader, and then come up with three stories from your life that are general enough that you can kind of fit them to any question, but are great examples in your life of each of those three things. So for me, I would obviously say, so for scholar, I would talk about like probably some honor society maybe and how I was the head of this honor society. And I also did some Spanish lessons in my free time or something along those lines, right? And then recruited, uh, and then athlete, how fencing, most likely I talk about fencing. And it's always great if you can add more in there, like the other two into your stories. So I'd say I was a a captain of the fencing team, which wasn't really, didn't really exist as a position, but captain of the fencing team and how I like would lead certain classes and like step up to lead classes in my fencing studio. And then leader, I mean, I could choose from an array of things, but flesh out like very detailed stories for each of the things you think are most important. Um, yeah, and that way when your the time comes, they're right there. Yeah, so just pull them. no matter what the question is, you most likely can fit it to the question. Like you can pull one of those out because you've already thought about what you think they're going to ask. And then just another really great thing to keep in mind is a lot of interviewers like to throw like, curveballs in there so just be loosen up have fun and don't worry too much like about what what the right answer is basically yeah that's great advice i really like the the, the three stories that's such a good tip uh, what other advice you know what final advice would you tell an upcoming high school senior who wants to apply to the air force academy for the class of 2027 and beyond yeah i would just say definitely start um prepping, prepping for the interview. Um, if you are weak, we, we kind of glossed over the candidate fitness assessment. I don't really remember what my scores were for it. Honestly, I get the question all the time as an ALO about like, what's a good score and what's a bad score. I couldn't tell you. I don't even know how it fill, fit, fits into the whole application. But um, I could say that Uh, If you're weak in one of the areas from the can or look up what the Air Force, what the Air Force Academy fitness test is. And if you're weak in one of the areas, just start working on it now. Like if you're weak at pushups, you can only do a few, like start working on it daily. Um, And if you're weak in one of the other areas, start working on it now so that you can improve and get better. It's only going to help you. And then I would just say, look at this whole application process as just an opportunity to learn like everything else, because even if you don't get into the academy or you can use it some other point in your life. Yeah, definitely. And with regards to the CFA, you know, it can be really confusing 
Um, a lot of times that falls into the athletic participation score, which is 10, 10% of the Air Force Academy application. And, and we also have a calculator on our site that can be used at gainserviceacademyadmission.com for any, anyone interested in kind of breaking down how the CFA is graded. And it'll give you strategic ways to, to bump up your scores a little bit by focusing on certain events. Well, now that we've covered the ALO side of the house, uh, let's move over to the the Air Force ROTC side and talk a little bit about what uh, life is like on that side of the house. Since you have some experience, um, can you talk about your time at the Air Force ROTC detachment? Yeah, so I was an assistant professor of aerospace studies, which is essentially one of the officers at the Air Force ROTC Detachment um, 40 at Loyola Marymount University, which is a small uh, school here in Los Angeles, California. Um, So on the ROTC side, the assistant um, professor of aerospace studies, we teach the class. Um, It kind of depends on the attachment you go to as to which one we're teaching, but we teach the class. Um, we, we oversee leadership laboratory, and then we're also there doing all of the administrative tasks for cadets. So we're monitoring everything from their PT test scores, making sure those get in on time, as well as the whole life cycle of a cadet. There are a lot of things that happen at different times and have to happen at certain times throughout the process as you go through the program before you get to your commissioning day when you become a second lieutenant after you graduate from your university program. And how much time would you say that uh, ROTC cadets are spending with with the Air Force program while they're still in college before they've commissioned? So it really depends on a detachment to detachment basis as to how much time you're going to spend with the program. Um, in Los Angeles, we're kind of in a unique situation because something that's pretty cool about Air Force ROTC as compared to some of the other service ROTCs is we allow crosstown schools. So what that means is if your school does not have an ROTC detachment, you can find the closest ROTC detachment to you and commute to their program. So in the Los Angeles area, while our detachment was at Loyola Marymount University, we only had about 10 students from Loyola Marymount University. The other like 50 to 60 students coming to our program were commuting from other schools um, from up to an hour, maybe two hours away at times. So um, it really is something that you can do no matter what school that you're at. Um, So that's pretty cool because I know that some of the other services are more restrictive when it comes to that. Um, So when you, when in the LA area, because we had so many crosstown schools, we did try to make it a little bit easier for commuting. So the time commitment was um, most of the program was done on Tuesday evenings. So you're talking about like five hours between your um, freshmen and sophomores do a one hour leadership class. And then there's about an hour and a half long lead lab. And then there's PT after that for about an hour. So for that, you're looking at like five to six hours of time at the detachment. Um, The juniors and seniors do a three-hour leadership class. So they're there for like an hour and a half longer, typically. So it's like a five to seven hour commitment on, on in general, would you say, like across the entire program? Well, that's for... so. Leadership laboratory and class 
a leadership laboratory, I believe, can be as long as two hours. So you're looking at three hours for class and leadership lab as a freshman and sophomore, and then you're looking at um, five hours as a junior and senior, and then you have to do three hours of PT a week. So some detachments will have all of that PT in person where you have to come in person. Other detachments, I think ours, for example, we had two in person, so Tuesday evening, and then we had a Thursday morning PT, and then anyone outside a 20-mile radius just did two PT, and then one on your own, and then anyone outside that 20-mile radius would do just two PT sessions on their own. That's really good info. Um, And out of all of your cadets, how many of them had scholarships? Not many. So that also depends like school to school as to, because there are a lot of different programs actually with ROTC. There are a lot of different subsets of scholarship programs. Um, Mm -hmm. Everything from like Hispanic serving institution, which is just dependent on whether the college you go to has been classified as an HSI or not, which is a Hispanic serving institution. So it's not you, it's your, whether your college is classified as that. Um, everything from that to, um, there's the commander scholarship program. So that's one per detachment that the commander gets to select. And then there's, um, there's GPA based and it really just depends on the year. Sometimes they're actual major based ones too, like for nursing. Um, and then there's a lot more division on the ROTC side by major. So whether you're a technical major versus a non-technical major is delineated a lot more on the ROTC side. We've seen in the past about 80% of the scholarships going to students who are pursuing tech majors or foreign language majors. So I think that's an important thing to point out as well. Yeah. If you're going for high school scholarship program, the only way you can... So there there are three different types of scholarships for high school scholarship program. There's type one, type two, and type seven. So type one is a full ride scholarship. And those type one scholarships are only open to technical majors only. Um, So type one is full ride to any school, private or public. Um, Type two is up to $9,000 a semester. um, And that can be converted to a type one for three years, I believe, but I may have misspoken there. So it's definitely $9,000 a semester for type two. And that one, they is for foreign language majors and non-technical typically. And then um, type seven, is 6500 per semester to state schools only, public schools. That's great. And so, you know, it's a, it's a really small percentage. Are, you, are we talking like 5 to 10% of the overall detachment cadets that have that high school scholarship? Um, yeah, it's, it really just depends because the cool thing about high school scholarship program is you don't have to say where you're going to school. They don't care. Mm-hmm. You're not beholden to a specific school. You're only beholden to, if you put technical majors in there, you have to stay a technical major or you will lose your scholarship. So, um, the only thing they're really looking at there, which majors you're selecting and whether you're technical or non-technical, they don't care what school you go to. So a lot of times from the school perspective, like at Loyola and Marymount University, we find out after the fact who got a scholarship and who's coming because they don't really make that decision um, in advance of which they don't have to decide which school they're going to. So the the typical route for 
students that are applying for an Air Force ROTC scholarship would be to interview at a detachment nearby them, regardless of whether or not they're going to apply to that one. That's one school specifically, correct? So ROTC, the high school scholarship program is administered at the national level. So it's out of Maxwell Air Force Base, Trish, at at headquarters, ROTC. And what happens is they tell us who we're interviewing, and it's exactly that. It's geographically based. So it's close to their home address as to where they're interviewing. So we're interviewing all of the ROTC high school scholarship candidates in the LA area. And for us, because we have UCLA has an Air Force ROTC detachment, USC has an Air Force ROTC detachment, and LMU did. So we were kind of splitting up the ones in the LA area between the three detachments. But it's whoever's closest to your home address, that's where you're going to interview. And how important would you say the interview is in receiving a scholarship? So I would say on either side, the academy side or the ROTC side, the interview is extremely important in that I do not believe if we give them a one or two, the headquarters are the, they're going to override that and let the person into the school. I think that um, from a pass-fail standpoint, it's extremely important because they will never override the decision. I've even had on the ROTC side, they come back to you and ask you to to um, confirm things if they um, it seems like they're considering it, for example. But I don't think they'll override the decision from boots on the ground. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I mean, we've seen the whole process ranking out of a thousand points. The interview makes up 45% of that thousand points. So very important, the single most important part of the whole process. So going into that interview prepared, like we've been talking about, it's really important. Uh, How many uh, potential scholarship recipients have you interviewed over the years? Um, So on the ROTC side, I interview probably 10 to 20 a year. It's a lot more um, because we have in the Los Angeles area, it's a lot more candidates applying, a lot more high school yeah. scholarship interest. So that's where um, I, it's an additional duty for us as ROTC instructors to do it. So it's kind of typically split between, they're typically two officers and a commander in the ROTC detachment. So the three of us will split up what we're taking. And what are some of the the points that you're looking for when you're interviewing ROTC candidates or scholarship candidates? Is it different than service academy or is it pretty similar? So one thing I do want to point out that I used to see that was a major red flag for me (laughs) is um, just from the scheduling standpoint, when we were reaching out to schedule and candidates' parents were emailing us back or calling us or scheduling on behalf of their students, that was a major red flag and very strange to me. Because if you can't even schedule your own interview, why are you applying to one of these programs? <laughs> really good point. So yeah, really um, good point. definitely don't let your parents do any of that on your behalf. It's also, I should say, a red flag because I didn't mention this on the academy side, but we're told to check that the candidate is by themselves in the room. Make sure they're by themselves. And we have a conversation with the candidates to make sure that this is their choice and they're not being forced into it by anyone. That's very important for the academy and for ROTC on both sides because we want people who want to be there, not because they're forced to be there. Or they feel some outside pressure from somebody. And are you doing interviews in person right now for ROTC yes. detachments? So okay. um, 
Well, ROTC interviews were in person. I can't tell you right now what their ROTC has been in person for campuses that are open. Okay. So yeah, that makes I, sense. I believe that the interviews would be in person. Yeah. Um, I'm not in the ROTC detachment anymore, so I can't tell you exactly what they're doing. But they're, I would assume that for campuses that are open, they've been instructed to do as much as they can in person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really good. So I guess kind of uh, taking a step back here and looking at Air Force ROTC and Air Force Academy, it seems like you have probably have a lot of people that are applying to both. What's the difference? What would you say is the main difference between Air Force ROTC and Air Force Academy? Yeah, I've gotten that question a lot. And it, I, I actually had to think about it a lot. Everything from the ROTC cadets that I was teaching. Um, I've experienced Air Force Academy and honestly didn't know a lot about ROTC until I was there. But I would say the main difference for people considering both is Air Force Academy is full time. So when you go to the Air Force Academy, It is everyone there is doing the same thing. Everyone there has to do military things at the same time. The classes that you're doing are all laid out for you. Um, Everything's kind of given to you on a platter and you don't really have a choice to do anything else as, um, and I don't mean that to sound negative. That's just kind of that it's your life. Like the Air Force Academy is your life at the time. Um, For the ROTC cadets, I had cadets who were working part-time jobs, going to school full-time, Um, doing community service things, doing other extracurriculars, doing their own personal lives, social lives, having to pay rent, figuring out where they were going to live, just balancing all of these things as well as ROTC and finding time for everything. So it's a part-time program in that um, you really get the opportunity to do other things. You're not just full-time Air Force right off the bat. But at the same time, you have to balance all of those things. So that's extra work and a lot more, um, I think it adds a little bit more stress to the process than just kind of at the academy where we just show up and everyone's doing the same thing and you're, you have to do it. (laughs) Yeah. That's an important differentiation because there's no choice at the academy. I would also add too, for ROTC, you're doing everything on an active college campus, whether it's your own college's campus or the college you're commuting to. But there are regular students walking around, um, sometimes standing nearby talking. We've had students who are sunbathing, like on the grass by where we're marching around. So (laughs) if you don't want to feel kind of like a fish in a fishbowl, then that's uh, that's kind of a different experience as well. I will say from a personal standpoint, I probably wouldn't have done well in the ROTC construct. I probably only survived the the academy academy style because everyone was going through the same thing and I didn't have to think about anything else. You all suffer together. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's awesome. Uh, You know, it's, um, you know, I, I, similar to you, um, Simone, where I was, you know, I'm a West Point graduate and then, you know, did ROTC, you know, more at the senior level as a professor of military science. But one of the things that uh, just as a short comment was that that surprised me was how good the ROTC officers are. You know, you'd think that only, you know, having six hours a week, you know, that the Air Force Academy cadets would be so much, you know, more the officer. But I was always just, I always was, when I was, went into, was in the army, I was very impressed with ROTC and, and the caliber of officers that came out of ROTC. 
Yeah. I mean, I would say like, it's really just in the end, it comes down to who you are as a person and (laughs) as to how you're going to be as an officer and the two different programs, one's not better than the other. They're just two different ways of arriving at the same thing, which is an officer in the military. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Simone, for coming on the show today. I think you really gave some really valuable insight to both programs. And we're uh, just really excited to to share this with everybody and give this uh, perspective. Yeah, it was great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks.